0: All right, everybody. Welcome to the Art Fight Podcast. This is season four, episode ten. As you may have heard, us trying to figure out. Um, it's a special episode. It is a special episode, and I'm super uh, thrilled to uh, unleash something new on our listeners in a, in a, a little bit different way. I, I like. It's kind of like you just got your own sort of stairway to heaven guitar solo. Like you got. Yeah, I
1: just fucking shredded it.
0: <laughs> so, so basically, um, here's what's going on, people. Um, We have, uh, you know, this perennial sort of struggle because sometimes we we always prefer to have people in the studio with us because it's just kind of a hang and it's fun that way. Um, And then on the other side of it, we have so many people that we really want to talk to that really just have to do this remotely. And while we're working on eventually getting ourselves to the point of having video live streaming and all of those things, Mm -hmm. uh, we've really just kind of not rushed towards that because I feel like we have just been getting a little bit better all the time at sort of what we're doing and kind of figuring it out. So it's just nice to sort of work our way up to that. But in the meantime, we have people that are remote that are doing brilliant and amazing things that are perfect guests for this that we just haven't had the opportunity to to bring in uh, uh, or just can't be in. So, um, so this episode, what we decided to do is uh, uh, take our uh, – amazing guest phone conversation and just let joe have at it and uh you know we've done sort of these kind of three people phone conversations where joe and i are present and then the uh the listeners are sort of privy to the good audio of that but then the phone audio of the other person and then for the person on the outside of it i feel like it's almost like a disservice to the to to the guest because there's just too many things going on so Mm -hmm. so hopefully people are cool with this uh this little format um uh, change or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so basically, uh, we had today uh, Janet O'Shea, who has a uh, who's an author that has written the book Risk, Failure, Play, and mm-hmm. she's essentially a dancer um, and a dance and, professor at UCLA, and a dance professor um, that also has had a pretty extensive journey through a lot of different martial arts yeah. and has sort of applied a lot of sort of theory and um, uh, critical. Uh, theory you know to to the the sort of connectivity between these things and then written this whole amazing book about it um Obviously, uh, you know you can explain it better than I can. Or why don't we just listen to it uh, in her words? But before we get into it, um, is there anything you kind of you know? We just had the conversation. Is uh-huh. there anything you want to sort of set up for the listeners uh, in and around uh, your conversation with Janet, which was awesome?
1: Yeah. Um, no, we we just had a really good talk. I knew she'd be a great guest because obviously somebody who's coming from an art background and uh, you know in dancing, uh, who then you know. Uh, Found this cross pollination with uh, uh, with martial arts, and she studied a lot of different martial arts, including Jeet Kune Do which we get into a lot about. Um, but she was just the perfect art fight guest. I mean, she's yeah. exactly on the same path that we are, essentially. And it seemed like a perfect forum for her. And uh, I, I didn't. We never know when we get on the phone with somebody, especially uh, what kind of conversation we're about to have. But we had a fantastic conversation, and uh, she's just as fascinating as her as her great book. Again, it's called Risk Failure Play. And uh, it was a pleasure to talk to her.
0: Yeah, it was it was great. And and also, you know, she does get into as well, you know, and I think one of the more relatable pieces for this, for those that are not necessarily martial arts practitioners or, yeah. you know, all that, I mean, uh, to see how as just an author and a writer, how she's mm-hmm. reconciled uh, that to her disciplines and, and what she's doing and how she's really uh, been able to find ways to, uh come up with better habits or uh, a more holistic sort of approach to her writing mm-hmm. based on her learnings uh from from movement and uh dance and from from martial arts and, and uh and you know so yeah like you said perfect guest for the art fight podcast uh super excited to to let everybody hear it so um if you like writing if you like reading <laughs> if you like dancing if you like people <laughs> kicking people um uh, you know, it's all civilized here. Um uh, yeah. but uh but anyway, so I guess we'll just go ahead and launch into this and then uh and then we'll kinda check back in on the back side of it and kinda let you guys know what else is coming up and what's happening and and all those things. But in the meantime, here is our, our Joe's conversation with Janet O'Shea.
1: Cool. All right, well, thank you so much for uh, joining us. You know, I contacted your publisher um, a, a little while ago, and we talked about getting uh, getting something together with you, and it's taken us a minute, but a lot of the scheduling for this season seems to be like us getting a second chance to talk to people that we've, you know, been trying to get on the show. So you are the, the latest guest that we've been sort of in contact with for a while, and I can't tell you how happy I am to finally have you on the show. I think your book is fascinating. I've watched a few of your uh, lectures and your ted talk on youtube and um i think uh a lot of the ideas that you're exploring here are um are you know kind of exactly the spirit of what this podcast is all about so um so for our listeners who are joining us this week uh you are the author of a book called risk failure and play and you're a professor of dance at ucla um uh, and your name is janet o'shea and welcome to the art 5 podcast
2: thank you thank <laughs> you so much for having me i've been uh, Listening to a few of your podcasts and okay. they're fascinating. <laughs> uh-huh, I, and I think good. it's just amazing. It's really interesting how beautifully incongruous, like the kind of talking about sculpture and talking about painting and then talking about pro fighting. It's, it's wonderful. So, yeah. yes, I think there's a real commonality of spirit. Yeah, for,
1: yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, um uh you're you're, you know, basically your uh you've been a dancer like pretty much all your life as I understand it. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and then we can start getting into discussion of how how your own sort of art journey led you to uh an understanding, your own understanding of how that how it, you know, sort of um is uh compatible and and uh, complementary in a way to uh the the world of fighting.
2: Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So, um, yeah, to start with the dance um, kind of arena. Um, I came into dance uh, relatively late for Western concert dance. So I came. I started dancing when I was about twelve. Um, I was at a summer camp and took a jazz dance class, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And thinking back on that moment, which I haven't reflected on for a really long time. It reminded me, it reminds me now of what I felt like the first time I sparred with someone, where it was just that state of being completely absorbed in the action that I was involved in and being kind of swept up and immersed and just having this kind of sense that I was participating in something that was so much larger than me, but I was so focused in it. Um, So that was really my passion for a long time, was dancing. Um, But partially because I came into it late, um, I didn't have a really clear career trajectory. So I I took that jazz dance class. And then from that, I started taking ballet. But um, I sort of starting ballet, even as a teenager, is kind of like starting too late. So I did that. I did some contemporary dance or uh, modern dance um and then when i went to college i took a south indian classical dance class um a dance form called bharatanatyam and again i had one of those moments of like i just completely fell in love with the technique um and that that became my life path for a long time i started uh training in that dance form um i was uh studying Dance history and anthropology um, at college. Um, so I was, I went off to India to train um, with a dance teacher for um, for a summer, um, and then I was performing uh, performing a lot. I got a performance a performing artist fellowship to go to India and spend nine months there, uh-huh. um, and then that impelled me into doing research um, into writing about the history um, from a kind of martial arts standpoint I mean one of the things that ended up being really interesting is uh, while I was training and performing Natyam, um, and writing about it I started uh, studying Wing Chun Kung Fu and the movement mechanics are surprisingly similar between those two practices uh-huh. um, which I did not expect to happen at all and I was like wow this is amazing um, it, Wing Chun felt very organic because of the the connection in the technique mm-hmm. Um But I didn't end up really seriously pursuing martial arts until much later, actually. I just kind of dabbled in Wing Chun for a while.
1: I see. One of the things, you know, um, one of my, you know, I've I've basically studied a variety of martial arts on and off through my whole life. And um, I did uh, uh, study uh, Northern Mantis Kung Fu for a time. And, and, you know, our class, of course, like like many Kung Fu classes, it's, you know, you may be primarily studying a certain kind of style, but there's a lot of overlap with other styles and other techniques come into play, depending on what you're working on. Um, But the thing I liked about uh, Kung Fu, one of my favorite things about it was just practicing these various forms and, uh, and especially sort of working with students who were like more advanced than I was, who were doing, you know, these really elaborate forms. And, uh, um, and some of them, I mean, there's it's, you know, if you, uh, you know, if you put down that wooden sword and put on, you know, uh, and put them on a stage with lights or something, you know, it's like, it would look like a contemporary dance performance, basically, you know? And it was obviously clear, you know, to me back then that it was like, oh man, I could see how, like, you know, even studying dancing would be such a huge, like, bonus for people who were studying Kung Fu, given the, um, essentially the choreography you were learning.
2: Yeah, that's that's super interesting because um, I guess there's some martial arts um, where the the martial arts practice is kind of embedded in dances. Like I, uh-huh. apparently, like um, some forms of silat do that, where they're actually these are called dances, and they have the 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 martial application or the vocabulary is kind of built into it. Uh, hey um, for
1: for our um for our you know our art neighbors who are listening to the show and aren't as familiar with all these like esoteric terms. Tell right. them, tell <laughs> us what what, what is C S I L A T, correct?
2: Yes, yeah. So um C-L-A-T is um I guess it's an umbrella term for a uh, series of practices um that are martial arts of uh, mostly I believe uh, insular Southeast Asia, so the, mm-hmm. so the island nations of, like, the Southern Philippines, um, Indonesia, I guess a little bit Malaysia as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I've only trained in a little bit, um, but I feel like I'm kind of, you know, a Silat-adjacent practitioner
3: because uh-huh. um, <laughs> of
2: training in uh, <laughs> Filipino martial arts, and um, it, the academy where I train has, uh, you know, has, has a kind of Silat uh, practice associated with it so they so they do a lot of, of dances where the the martial application is kind of hidden uh-huh. in the dances um so for sure there is definitely like that that whole idea of choreography is certainly a connection um sure. for me like what what was super interesting about martial arts was that it did it brought me things that I didn't get through dance you know so it's like kind of interesting to think about it that way too uh-huh. like yeah the many ways in which the practices are quite different
1: Mm-hmm. let's get to that then what 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 did what did martial arts do that dance didn't do for you and and you know sort of pulled you in and made you start to go down this whole road
2: so you know i think but like for me what um i've i guess always been interested in with martial arts is uh the live application so flow drills sparring um Anything, anything that's like dynamic and like not choreographed, basically. Yeah. Um. So that's a big part of it. Oh, uh, like I've done a little bit of dance improvisation. I did a little bit, like when I was doing contemporary dance. Um, in Buttersnoutheim, there is there is structured improvisation. Um, where it's basically, um, within uh, the structure of a piece. Um, if you have live musicians, the dancer has an opportunity to improvise. Uh.
3: Um
2: uh, but that's you know a little bit more limited because it's because it's kind of tightly contained and tightly structured um, whereas with uh, e- e- sparring for sure um, grappling uh, you know in um, in Wing Chun when you when you cheese out when you touch hands with somebody um, all of those kinds of flow or live practices um, it's the fact that it's not choreographed is what I love, you know, that it's, it's totally about being responsive and it's totally right. about being in the moment and, um, not just kind of reacting to the opponent, but actually, figuring out what they're going to do in advance of them doing it yeah or you know in my case you know usually it's the other person's figuring out what i'm going to do in advance, but, you
1: know, <laughs> but ideally, yeah i know, I know the, the feeling i know the yeah. feeling <laughs> yeah but 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 there's something more to it there's tactics and strategy and it's not simply just people flailing at one another for sure um uh, i think it's interesting like one thing that uh that really stuck with me um from your talks and also of course from the book and its title is uh, i really got into the way that you broke down um these three categories which were uh game sport and uh play right am i getting that correct yes you are okay so tell, let's let's dive into that a little bit just uh, just because to, to me this is where we start getting into like a lot of the sort of philosophical meat of like what you're actually uncovering with this whole uh exploration
2: yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, basically, play, um, as as I'm defining it in in the book, and I'm kind of drawing from you know a, a whole history of like philosophies of play and stuff like that, is that um, play is intrinsically valuable. So um, it's something we do for its own purpose. It doesn't serve a goal. Um, it's not about uh, producing something necessarily. Um, it's it's freely chosen. Um, it's something that we agree to participate in, that we consent to, um, and it usually involves being in the flow state, like be- being in this, a state of complete immersion. Um, and when the philosophers of play kind of talk about it, they um, usually break play down into open games and closed games. Mm-hmm. So, an open game is where. Um, it's play for the sake of exploration. Um, there isn't... You don't achieve an object and then win the game. Okay. Um, so often like uh, like imagination play that children participate in is, is an example of um, an open
3: game. I see.
2: Um, whereas a closed game is you have an objective that you're trying to achieve, and that objective wins the game. Uh-huh. Um, so like a game of Monopoly, for example. Um, or a soccer game mm-hmm. you know? um, usually what makes it a game or you know what makes a game a form of play is that you have this object that you're trying to achieve but that object doesn't mean anything in the outside world
3: mm-hmm. um, oh I see like kicking
2: a ball into a goal doesn't change anything in the outside world uh huh um, it, and it doesn't really mean anything um, outside
1: of the context of the game
2: outside of the context of the game exactly right. exactly Um, where it means everything (laughs) where Where it it means (laughs) everything
1: (laughs) or it can mean everything I didn't I don't mean to interrupt you there but but uh, it's I'm like sort of like just I'm very very fascinated by the fact that you get into this idea that the um, uh, how do I say this that uh, on some level like we can't really have the fun and exhilaration of a game without there being some level of competition i.e. a winner and a loser but at the same time when we start to emphasize that competition and that ball in that net becomes you know outsized in some way and the importance of it becomes everything then we suddenly transform our game and it's no longer play it becomes work is that
2: right? That is right, yeah. Okay, yes. See. I might just kind of <laughs> nuance that a little bit. And Please say do. That, Please um, do. <laughs> to access the fun of play, like, competition can be really useful for that. Mm-hmm. Like, competition can really deepen and enrich experience. Um, For us to really stay in the play state, I think it's kind of important to stay away from, like, the winner and loser sort uh-huh. of thing. Or it can be important to avoid that. So that's where, like... I think sparring is a really useful example that like if, you know, sparring is an open game a, a sport fight is a closed game. Oh yeah. Um, so like even when you spar with somebody and like, it's, you know, obvious like, Oh wow, that person's way better than I am. Um, It's still an open game because it's like, okay, you both know that, but you don't really you don't declare a winner at the end. In the book, I believe
1: in the book or one of your talks, you say specifically like sparring is defined by the fact that like literally nobody keeps score. There's like no audience, perhaps besides like maybe a coach or something, you know, so all of those elements of what makes a prize fight, a prize contest with a winner are not there in sparring, even though it's still a situation where two people are hitting and kicking
3: each other.
2: Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's often what makes sparring easier, um, although in some cases it can actually make sparring more dangerous because mm. you're kind of unsupervised. And, um, <laughs> that's true. <so laughs> yeah. it's, it's a little bit more unstructured, so yeah. it can get into kind of some some dodgy territory. Um, although, you know, most times it's like, yes, the sparring matches, in fact easier because you don't have people watching and you don't have that incredible pressure and you don't have that whole thing of like okay you know i gotta get to this point that i have to win and instead you're looking at it as like oh i'm learning something Uh you know
1: yeah Um, and like you said too there's like this there's like one of the things that makes it so playful is the fact that it's you, you you actually describe this uh, in in the book again or I, I'm all mixed up between what I've heard you say and what I've uh, read you saying and I'm sure that there's a lot of overlap but um uh, but you you make a uh, uh, you talk uh, you talk us or write us through a sparring match that you're having with somebody at some point and you and you really do a great job of illuminating for people who haven't been in that situation of sort of illuminating the way that that it works and the way there'll be a certain you know a certain assumptions agreed upon given the levels you're fighting at and what you're doing and you know I've sparred guys who are just you know 40 year old students like I am and I've sparred other people who are like no I'm a competitive fighter and you know I'm just here on Wednesday because I need to get my workout in but I'm you know negotiating a fight right now and I might be doing a real serious camp here in a minute you know so between all those different people that might meet up in a gym you know there's just this cool dialogue that can take place you know and well hopefully does take place in a sparring match, where you sort of match each other's intensity uh, so that you're both getting uh, the best out of the situation without being in a dangerous position.
2: Yes, yes. And that, in fact, I think is is really the beauty of sparring, like when it's going well. And I think, you know, often when I take these examples, um, mostly I look at the examples of when it goes really well, because I think. It's easy, particularly from an outside perspective, to focus on the situations in which it doesn't work, where um, somebody is using sparring to, like, beat up on the less accomplished students or whatever. And, you know, I found that's pretty rare. Like, I found what is much more common is exactly the scenario you talk about, that, like, you know, you go into the gym um, and, you know, my experience where, where I started sparring was that, uh, the martial arts program at UCLA Recreation. So it mm-hmm. was like I was there with a bunch of these twenty-year-olds, um, right. and I'm not twenty. Um,
1: <laughs> Neither am I.
2: <laughs> um, and you know they were I don't, for some reason they were all like these young guys who were studying science. Um, huh. I I don't know why that is, but interesting. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, and it was, and it, it was really quite fascinating that here we were, like people from very different walks of life and life experience, and you know, in my case, age, um, you know, getting together, and and right, it just getting worked out, and you know, um, none of them were professionals or spying professionals, but you know, they were also young, energetic people, and it was like this thing, yeah. of like, okay, yeah, sure, let's let's get in there, let's work it out, let's see how. How the differences between us play out in this situation. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Can I ask you a question? Like, let, me, yeah. let me interrupt you for a second. Go was ahead, this? Go ahead. Was the? Were these um, Muay Thai classes you were taking at that time?
2: So this was actually under the rubric of of Jiujitsu, oh, okay, like the Grunley cool. system. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was what was cool about it was um, my coach at the time um, was. Uh, He was Jeet Kune Do trained, um, but he was also, had been a competitive kickboxer, um, Mm. and then worked as a professional sparring partner to pro fighters. Uh Um, So he kind of, so what we ended up doing was this very, like, MMA-style sparring. Cool. Um, And he had trained with Eric Paulson a lot, um, as well as training at the Inosanto Academy.
3: Oh, okay, Um,
2: yeah. Yeah, so it was this very interesting, like, okay, let's just glove up, and let's see what happens um and we would kind of work from a kind of kind of very MMA kind of format but then trying to work in some of the jiu jitsu stuff like the hand trapping uh uh-huh. um, but seeing like how you have to get through all like the, the you have to get through somebody's kicks uh-huh. and their punches before you can even get, get to that point right, right. so it's yeah. kind of like yeah um yeah so it's very 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 interesting experience like just in terms of the the actual you know, material we were working with as well as like how we're interacting yeah. with each other.
1: I'm really I'm really pleased to hear you say that. And I would say to people who are out there listening who might be curious about getting involved in contemporary martial arts in one way or another, my experiences have also been just consistently very good with people at my gym, with people from outside my gym. And uh, I really, I'm glad to say that. And, uh, and I hope that that is more people can report that same thing because I think that's an important part of of being able to do this thing that's already, you know, difficult and scary and uh, anxiety inducing enough, you know, and just just trying anything new for most people is hard. You know what I mean? But doing something where it's like, no, I might get punched in the face. (laughs) You know, if you can feel like you're amongst people who have your best interests at heart, it's a lot, it's a lot more inviting to go get punched in the face (laughs) than it is when, you know, you're dealing with a bunch of, you know, machismo or just like, you know, whatever attitudes and stuff. Um, uh let me ask you real quick and like you're 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 talking about doing jiu-jitsu Do and like that you know essentially being you know the, you know many people would say the the beginning of mixed martial arts in some way I know you've studied a lot of stuff you've talked about the Filipino arts you studied uh your the back of your book tells me you've done some uh jiu uh right now like uh in your training like what's your favorite thing to work on
2: So that's a that's a really good question cuz um right now I've been focusing a lot on Filipino martial arts um and I've been really trying to work outside, like beyond the level of just focusing on drills and technique and thinking a lot about fight ranges and thinking about geometry, angling off um, and that's like, and, and being able to like the idea of like being able to hit without being hit yeah. um, and doing that with primarily with the sticks, but I find that that idea transfers over really well to sparring as well. Um, because the I mean, it's a lot of like how Filipino martial arts translates into boxing. Like when the whole Filipino uh-huh. boxing connection, um, it, is that, that idea of like, if you angle off, if, if you get, so, um, your, if you can, if you can angle off, um, to To somebody's side, then you're able to land a strike, and they're not able to land a strike on you if you have your positioning right. You know, right. so you can yeah. like that comes up in like, um, like in uh, Manny Pacquiao's fight game. You, you you see it a lot, and it's just part oh, of yeah. that whole legacy of how like Filipinos got good at boxing. So for me, that's like I'm I'm actually working that primarily in the domain of the sticks, actually, and sort of going back to that, like the fundament of it in a way. Um, but it's something that's quite transferable. So, um, that's kind of my focus right now. And then I'm focusing also a lot on Jeet Kune Do at mm-hmm. the moment and, and a lot of the stuff with hand trapping, um, and being kind of in that range. Um, but I think part of, part of what I love about martial arts, um, is that kind of Bruce Lee approach that I've been so fortunate to be exposed to, which is the, the whole like, you know, um, take what is useful, leave what is useless, make it your own, and mm-hmm. part of that is this kind of incredible eclecticism. So, um, you know, this is what I'm focusing on right now. But I just realized, um, you know, I went to a kickboxing class last night, and I was like, God, I really miss kickboxing. I want to be doing more right, of that. Right, you know, right, <laughs> right. Of being like, my ground game is totally suffering right now, so I want to get back to that. So, you know, it's it's the. Uh, Um, being spoiled for choice and there only being so many hours in the day kind of thing.
3: Yeah, well, I'm
1: definitely, you know, the kind of person who's like, I'm always like seeking like, you know, variety in pretty much all the things I do in my life and it's really a kind of a golden age to be in this time of mixed martial arts where it's considered to be, you know, it's like not only you know smart but fashionable to be like studying more than one thing and you know people would be be like you know we might you know oh you're doing that why aren't you doing ju- you know you better do jujitsu too or you're not you know you're not going to really be able to to take care of business the way you think you are you know so i think it's it's a cool time to be alive for people who you know um might find it you know more difficult just to grind away at one particular discipline Um, and I think that you know it only makes sense that you would feel that way given somebody who's you know leaping from dancing to martial arts in the first place Um, but I would be remiss in this conversation if I didn't uh, also ask you about um, you know we've got the connection from dance to martial arts but what about when it comes to being an author like what are you know what are the lessons that martial arts has taught you about how to actually sit and 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 write a book like Risk, Failure, and Play? Or Risk, Failure, Play. <laughs>
2: yes, yes. Um, yeah, that's a great question. So I think, you know what I think martial arts has taught me is that if something doesn't work, try doing something else. Um, and that's kind of obvious, but it's also... Like a lot of deeper truths, the fact that it's obvious doesn't make it easier to access necessarily. Yeah. I, and what I mean by that is that I think my tendency before as a writer, um, and as a fighter would be if something didn't work, I would just do it again and do it harder. Um, and what I learned from fighting with, fighting people who are good is that that kind of raw intentionality only gets me so far because it gives my opponent a lot of information Um, (laughs) and they, can do a lot of things with that information yeah you you
1: just (laughs) summed up my my very short jujitsu journey in like in two sentences i think because that's pretty much pretty much to me that's like the first lesson of jujitsu that you really learn is like you that's the first that's your first instinct is oh do this oh that didn't work i'll do it again and i'll really do it this time you know and then the next thing you know you're just ground into the mat and and hopefully quickly learn that you know harder more is just never the way
2: (laughs) yes yes absolutely and i feel like i even learned that from boxing you know that i think because i think and i think particularly boxing because it looks you know it looks rough and hard and then like when you you get in there and you realize like if if i get hit and my response i mean it's good that the response is to hit right back but if the response at the same time if somebody knows that as soon as I get hit, I'm just going to come flying in there. Like, that's really kind of obvious. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if that person knows what they're doing at all, it's, you know, they, they can really do a lot with that. So, yeah, I think, right, it's a it's a core lesson of jiu-jitsu and, um, and a lot of fight sports. So I think my tendency as an author previously would also be, okay, so this is not working. All right, so I'm just going to work at it. And I'm just going to, like, get in there with the sentences, and I'm going to just try to make those sentences better. And, you know, that's a good impulse in itself, and I think, um, you know, we'd have better writing in the world if we all did that and worked our sentences. And, yeah. You know, but there's a point where I think with writing, it's a really good idea to just step back from it, sometimes to step way back and go, <laughs> okay... Is this going where I wanted to go? Mm-hmm. You know, is this am, am I is is this a rabbit hole or is this actually an interesting trajectory? Uh-huh. Um, and I think before I did martial arts, I didn't really have an intuitive feel for that kind of thing. I think I was very much I was a trees rather than a forest kind of writer. Uh-huh. Um, and I think the 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 thing that made risk failure play actually fairly easy to write, which as much as any writing any book can be easy, um, was that I had that real sense of like, okay, I wrote these 20 pages, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to use them, and that's okay.
3: Mm, like, I see. Because
2: the fact that I wrote those 20 pages and I went in a direction that didn't end up being helpful, that's, that's okay, because I'm just going to do something else. And I'm able to do something else because I did write those 20 pages, you know. So it's kind of that, you know, feeling, and again, it's, I guess, related to the book theme, but, you know, feeling comfortable with a certain kind of failure and treating failure as generative.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a great way of putting it, you know, and I I feel like, um, I feel like it, you know, in a way too, you're getting you're showing how your own writing process you like is like getting back to that place where it is process oriented and it is about playing it's not so much about like let's rush to the end so we can win the race it's it's you know let's have fun and do this for a minute no that's that wasn't what we wanted we want to come back here now and and get back to like you know uh you know the the part of this that's working better
2: yeah yeah and actually it was a it was a fun book to write because, um, I started writing it just by keyboarding uh-huh. and um and again, that's like kind of esoteric technical term from the writerly side, but basically just <laughs> you know writing down my thoughts and just kind of almost free associating like mm-hmm. oh, I went and trained today, and here's some stuff that I'm thinking about, you know, and just jamming out the pages um and at first, I thought I was gonna write a straight up memoir mm-hmm. um and then I realized there's nothing terribly interesting about me and martial arts inherently. Um, so how dare I was you? Like, what would the memoir possibly be? Um, and then I realized, oh yeah, that's that's actually the, the interesting thing about it is uh-huh. that like there isn't some big accomplishment at at the end of it, uh-huh. or you know, um, it's it's just that it's valuable in itself.
1: I think one of the things I like about the book the most really though is that you it, it's still your your voice and the sort of the way you're writing it it's very um it's very familiar and it feels very personal and And in a way, I think that as esoteric, I mean, obviously I'm a mark for a book like this, but I think for a lot of people who might be like a little bit like, what, it's like a dancer wrote a martial arts book, you know, and it might seem like sort of a a weird esoteric space to go into or or that it's going to be overly academic in some way. Um, It really isn't. I mean, you really have this great, clear thinking, really strong writing about these really interesting ideas, but the whole thing feels, you know, it feels a little bit like a memoir. It feels like a personal, accessible, read and uh it's definitely highly recommended for people who um you know who are uh, listening to a show like this
2: <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm glad that worked because i you know i think i i, I sort of have a, a core belief that like if you really understand something you can say it clearly mm-hmm. um and so even though in the uh, in the book, I've try- I've drawn upon, you know, philosophy and critical theory and things like that. Um, I've tried to be very clear with it because I'm trying to get at, like, the core truths, not uh-huh. necessarily, like, the complicating factors or <laughs> even maybe the, the nuance necessarily of mm-hmm. all the ideas, but just to kind of get at, like, oh, I have this experience. Other people have this experience too. This is something... Some of us have in common. What does that mean, and why is that important?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think you do a great job of of you know uh, illuminating that you know that fundamental sort of uh, uh, you know information that that you've been able to find through these experiences. And um, if we want to uh, share this book with uh, with our listeners, what's the best way for them to get it? Amazon, or where should they go if they're interested in risk, failure, play? Um, By Janet O'Shea. I got a great little rhyme out of that.
2: Yeah, yes, it does does have the catchy rhyme. And I work at UCLA, so there's another rhyme. (laughs) That's great. That's great. (laughs) Um, So yeah, Amazon is um, probably the easiest way to get it. Um, Also, through Oxford University Press's website is another possibility. Um, Those are probably probably the best at this point. Um, Although it's popping up in all sorts of weird outlets, like you can get it from Target's website, which strikes me <laughs> wow. as really strange, That's but... <laughs> great.
1: That's great. <laughs> yeah. And what about if, if people want to follow you, do you have social media or anything you want to share with us?
2: Oh, um, yes. I, um, I'm i on Twitter. Uh, it's um, J-B-O-Shea. So it's J-A-Y-B, B as in bat, O-S-H-E-A.
1: Okay, cool. I'm going to totally find you on there because I love Twitter. Um, uh, and um, uh, I want to thank you for being on the show. I want to thank you for writing this great book. And I also would be remiss. It would be bad if Joe Nolan didn't wish Janet O'Shea a happy St. Patrick's Day this Sunday. Ah,
2: thank you. Thank you. I was wondering if you were of Irish extraction, actually, with a name like Nolan. 100%. Um. The greatest people
1: in the world. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Cool. I Well, thank you so much. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad to hear your comments on the book and to hear that it resonated for you is really wonderful. I mean, that's probably the, the greatest compliment that one can receive as a writer is to have somebody read a book and go, hey, that really resonated for me. Yeah. Um, so that's amazing. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, you're welcome, and thank you for writing such a great book. I really feel like it's you know again, it's you know when we sat out to sort of uh, we we didn't we didn't even necessarily understand that what we were getting into when we started a thing called Art Fight Podcast, but we uh, me and my co-host Brian knew like what we saw in the connections with that, and it's been really remarkable. And probably the most fun thing about doing the podcast is finding people like you uh, who also have put these little, you know, these little uh, threads together and and found, you know, uh, another piece of the puzzle that we can all share together. So I thank you very much for being on the show with us, Janet.
2: Yes, thank you. Thank you as well.
0: All right. Joe, that was awesome. What an amazing uh, guest to have. Thank you so much for, you know, uh, running that conversation and getting so much out of it that I think everybody can really benefit from. I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, had a lot of bad jokes lined up in my, in my head, you know, that, I that I wanted to say, um, but I, I chose to remain silent and I think that the whole conversation was better for it.
1: <laughs> it probably was. No, that was good. And I want to thank Janet again for joining us today. Um, we had, uh, as I mentioned, you know, uh, while we were talking, she's, uh, somebody I've been in touch with her through her literary agent, you know, on and off, uh, for a little while now. Uh, and we finally got around to, you know, landing on a time when we could both, uh, both talk about this and I appreciate their diligence and their patience with all that too um, but she's uh, somebody I'm, I'm really glad that I spent the time I did to get her uh, scheduled for the show because that was a, a fa- fantastic conversation and thanks again to Janet for joining us
0: yeah sure was and of course Janet if you're ever in uh, Nashville please hit us up and we'll we'll continue the conversation in person 100% and then uh, in the meantime uh, I definitely like anybody that's listening you know uh, while Joe and I are pretty much the premier tastemakers uh, 100% in the, in the, in the region <laughs> No, um, stop there <laughs> yeah, right right no um, please send us uh, you know t- tweet us uh, at Art Fight Podcast anybody that you think would be a, a, a truly apt and solid guest for us uh, we're open to mm-hmm. a lot of things I mean we're not just doing local uh, we talk to a lot of national and international figures and you know we've been really lucky uh, so far to have uh, a lot of heavy hitting really uh um, amazing guests and then also mm-hmm. I love having people that um, are maybe not necessarily as known you know or whatever, but right. man they've got some really interesting perspectives or something to really offer that, that I think that the, that people can, can dig. Uh, but anyway, so I guess we'll just go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you guys all for, for tuning in. Of course, um, make sure you support the podcast. If you can 99 cents a month, just go to anchor. FM forward slash art, art fight podcast yeah. and click on support this podcast. And then, uh, perhaps after you donate 99 cents, I'll be able to get a sentence out with some sort of clarity. That's right. Um, anyway, Joe, you got any things coming up? Oh man, I keep, I keep doing this. I'm, I'm, uh, man plug you know. time
1: come on I just got I got oh uh, I tell you what if you're in Nashville uh, be sure to get uh, I'm not sure when it's going to come out exactly but right now we're finishing up the next edition of the Salt Weekly um, uh, art zine and um, you can always pick those up at the packing plant uh, during first Saturday so I think it'll be hopefully for the first Saturday that's coming up in um, April um, that'll be available but anyway I'm continuing my my uh, my wrestling poem the Pancration Abyssidarium: a dirt sheet elegy in five parts. Part three will be in the upcoming, uh, the upcoming uh, salt weekly. So check that out.
0: (laughs) That's so much more interesting than... uh, Playing a show, beers. <laughs> playing a show and beers. Oh, that, uh... Also,
1: too, Also, too. I should tell people, uh, Matt Johnstone was in touch with me just the other day. We almost canceled this event, but on the first uh, day of spring, which I believe is the 20th, which is next Wednesday, um, we are going to be doing a Nashville Poetry Marathon at the Packing Plant. So come out. I'm going to be reading sometime between 12 and 1 during lunch. So come bring about... your lunch, sit on the lawn, hear some poetry, the Nashville Poetry Marathon on the first day of spring at the Pacquiao.
0: I dig it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, for me, I've got this uh, photo thing coming up at the Frist Art Museum, so mm-hmm. that's cool. When will that be? Uh, I'm not sure okay. It's like the opening is I want to say next week sometime okay. Just go to the, uh, the Frist art museum Google Frist art museum The, the big Dorothea Lange
1: at... show is opening tomorrow. So maybe yeah. you're opening tomorrow. Do they have your work yet?
0: Uh, yeah, they have it. Oh, um, really? So it's gonna be coming up soon. It's part of this uh, exhibition called connect disconnect um, something about Sort of the trials and tribulations of living in the it city. There's some sort of broader title for it but um uh, and I it should probably that that should be I the should subtitle: Trials should, and Tribulations yeah, yeah, of no. Living in the. It city. I should know what the title is and what the date is, but I know yeah. that it's soon, and and uh and it's it's not really about me; it's about you know fifty different uh, artists that were chosen across the city, um, that uh you know had something visually to say about sort of what's what's been happening here, and it's going to be a really neat. Uh, exhibition that boom I'm, I'm town. just I'm just one small boom, time, part boom of.
1: goes the boom town
0: <laughs> um, but anyway so uh, so yeah uh, thanks ev- uh, everybody we really appreciate it all the time and uh, we're just gonna get on out uh, go get Janet O'Shea's book uh, Amazon Oxford Press Risk um, Failure Play by Janet O'Shea yes it's, it, and it rhymes so go do it and support people that are making awesome shit alright talk yeah. to you guys later Peace.
2: Okay guys, I love the Art Fight Podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help?
0: Go to anchor.fm forward slash art podcast. Click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast. And once you get there, you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level. You're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and, and help us out again. Anchor.fm forward slash
3: art podcast. Click on support this podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone.